0: pray for blessings. We pray for peace, comfort for family, protection while we sleep. We pray And what if trials of this life, the rain, the storms, the hardest nights, are your mercies in
1: came to mind that, um, they, they kind of stood out like a beacon in the night among all the churches that Paul had worked with. And, um, as, uh, as Jim had read in Hebrews, there's, there's like three things that just really jump out at me in, in those scriptures. And, uh, it, it's amazing how much Trinity language there is in, in God's creation. Uh, when you think of it, there's father, son, and Holy spirit. There's, uh, you talk of water, earth, and sky, um, there's so many things, and then he talks, of course, of faith, hope, and love, and that's something the Thessalonian church uh, really had a had a grasp on. But I, I'm going to give you a little bit of history about the church, and I think you'll find it quite amazing about how they came to be, and how quickly they came to be. See, in terms of arrangement in the New Testament, Thessalonians is not at the beginning of the epistles at all. It's more towards the back. But Paul actually wrote the letter to the Thessalonians. That was his first letter that he'd ever written to a church. He wrote it in 50 to 52 AD. And as you think about it, you think, you know, why was it placed then back in Scripture? Why is it one of the later epistles and not one of the very first? And I think God has an amazing reason why he does things like that. And as you think about that yourself, I'd like you to just... You know, think about those thoughts. Why? Why were scriptures aligned the way they were? Why were the people um, that were putting the Bible together? Wh- how did they arrange Thessalonians, you know, in the position where it was at, where when it was the first letter that Paul had written to the churches? See, Thessalonica was a Roman colony. They were about 50 miles west of Philippi and about 100 miles north of Athens, to give you an idea of where they were located. The city was first named Therma, and it was because they had a hot springs there. Now I don't know if you've ever, ever been about around the Hot springs springs, but Julie and I were we went to Hot Springs, South Dakota, I think it is. And it, it's an amazing um, work of God. Here's this hot water that's coming out of the ground all the time, and it's fresh and it's clean, and it's, uh, it's, 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 an, it's amazing. They have this huge pool and it's all, hot water. Um, And me who doesn't like cold water, I love hot springs. (laughs) But that, so the name of Thessalonica was first called Therma. Then it says in 316 BC, this is a long time ago, 316 BC, the name was changed to Thessalonica. And it was Alexander the Great's half-sister, Thessalonica. How would you like to have that name? (laughs) Thessalonica, they named the city after her. And, um, and today, which is even more amazing, the city is still there. But now it's called Thessalonica. And if you go on the internet, you can see it. It's a, it's a city of about 300 and some thousand people. There is industry there. Um, we think that we have things old in this country when we have 200-year-old buildings. We're talking here before Christ, 300 years before And even before that. Amazing. The church in Thessalonica was established on Paul's second missionary journey. And what was amazing about Thessalonica, it was known to be a model church. Other churches wanted to be like them. And Paul would write to other churches and tell them, you guys need to get your act together. You need to look at what the church in Thessalonica is doing. Because what they're doing is right on the money. And what is so amazing to me is when Paul went there, Paul had a total of three weeks. He had a total of three weeks, and these people were pagans. They didn't have Christianity. They didn't know Christ. Within that three-week period, the church was started, the church was planted, and Paul taught them the doctrines of, of what it means to have faith in Christ. Isn't that amazing? That's all they had was three weeks from being idol worshipers to being Christ followers and then becoming the model church, the church to follow. That's a very humbling thing when we think of all the things we have at our fingertips, all the technology, all the information, and we struggle with just doing what we feel God is calling us to do, at least I do. So it's very humbling to me how God worked, and you know that wasn't the work of Paul that did it, it had to be the work of the Holy Spirit. It absolutely had to be the Holy Spirit working through Paul in those three weeks and in the lives of those people that, that when Paul, uh, you know, the written word was not that accessible back then. When Paul spoke, a lot of those people in those churches had to remember what Paul said. They had to put that to memory and, and then to live it. They didn't, it wasn't just head knowledge to them. It changed their life. It, it, they went from worshiping idols and they turned around and did a totally 90-degree change and followed Christ. No more idol worship. No more pagan worship. Isn't that exciting? And I had gotten an email this morning. And I don't know if any of you else have gotten it from Paul Clay. And his, um, his son John, he used to be an old guitar student of mine. So I, I, I really stay kind of in touch with him. And John's married uh, to a wonderful lady. And it's his mother-in-law is in Africa on, mission, on a missionary trip. And there's something happening in Africa that, that I wish we could have here. They are so on fire. They are people that are absolutely doing exactly like the Thessalonians did. That's hard to say. They're making just a 90 degree turn. They're walking away from their beliefs that they had before. And they're following Christ. And not just following Christ. They are running after him. They are seeking him. They are spreading the word. And there is a fire that is happening in Africa right now. And that is exciting. The Thessalonians were no strangers to idol worship or to false teaching. And there's three things that Paul says, I call it a threefold purpose that we can apply to our lives as Christians as we look at the church in Thessalonica. And the first one is to confirm young converts in the elementary truth of the gospel. And that is why I my heart just goes out to our Sunday school classes and our VBS programs and our, and our camps at Blue Water because that is the foundation where a lot of these kids really become to, come to the point where they start to realize their need of a Savior. They, have a realize, they realize that there is a difference between following Christ and following the world. So that's the first purpose, is to confirm young converts in the elementary truth of the gospel. The next one is to condition them to live holy lives. It's not just head knowledge. It is totally a life change. It is a life commitment. And it should direct everything that you do. Every decision you make should be founded on your, your coming to Christ. And the third thing, the third purpose that I see in this letter is to comfort them regarding the ter- re- return of Christ First, through the 1st and two, um, first and 2nd Thessalonians, that is a real major theme that, that you'll see as we go through this a little more in the next couple of weeks, is that they really looked forward to the coming of Christ. The church in Thessalonica seemed to have a view of God that few other churches at that time, and sad to say, it, in this day and age, aren't getting They're They're not grasping the hope and the excitement that we should have of a coming Messiah, of the rapture to come. It's, it's, it's exciting. When you read First and Second Corinthians, you, you realize that was not true in the Corinthian church at all. The Corinthian church, were, were, um, they were turning away from God. They never really got it. They never, that, that knowledge never reached their heart. They started following after other things. They were getting caught up in living immoral lives. And the letters to those churches were more for correction. And even Paul says in the Corinthian letters, look at Thessalonica. Look at what they're doing. You're missing something here. We're going to look at just four main things this morning in the characteristics of the church in Thessalonica. And we're going to start with verses 1 through 4. So I'd like to look at that, and we're going to see that that the Thessalonian church was an elect people. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. So it begins, Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith. That was the start. Your labor prompted by love. That's the next part. And then your endurance, inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. They were looking forward to his coming again. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Isn't that amazing? Have you been chosen by God this morning? If you're a Christian, I can tell you right now that God chose you. There's no question. Scripture is very clear on that. He chose you before you were ever born. You might think, but wait a minute, I remember when I gave my heart to the Lord. I remember when I made the decision to serve Christ. I remember when I repented of my sins. I remember when I quit following the world and turned my back and started following Christ. There's a whole lot of I in there that has nothing to do with your reason for salvation it does have something to do with your free will. And I pray that I can explain that a little more clearer today. Because that part, that I part in your conversion experience is your free will at work, and that is a gift that God gives us. But before you made that choice, Scripture is very clear that God chose you. Before the foundations of the world, you were on his mind. He knew the decisions you would make. I know that's hard to understand, but that is exactly what God is saying. Before your choice to follow Christ, there was God's choice to choose you. Verse 4 says that you were chosen by God. And as I said, your free will played a part in your conversion experience. There's no question, and I don't want to take that away from you. Because that's a very important part. I remember in my life, when I was nine years old, there was no reason for me to accept Christ at that at that time of the day that I did. I I was at home by myself. And I become overwhelmed with the feeling that I needed to start following the Lord with my life. At nine years old, I had I was usually more concerned about where my next peanut butter and jelly sandwich was coming from. And I still am today actually. <laughs> but why is that? Why why did I have that at nine years old? It's not of me. It's nothing I did. And I can praise God and I thank him so much that he chose me. That he saw something in me before I was born. He knew the days, of my, my, the actions I would take. He knew the thoughts that I would have. That's so far beyond our thinking. You can look at that and you say, well, why did God choose him and not him? And I remember a professor at seminary said, we're talking about election here, not selection. It's not I choose him, but not him. Because he sees into the future. He knows who we are. Isn't that amazing? God chose you for a reason because he knew. He knew you. One of the best ways that I can that I can think of, that I can... Look at this topic because I know there's always a little bit of confusion between election when it talks about God choosing. But I think of the book Pilgrim's Progress, and for those that that you that haven't read it, the main character is a guy named Christian. And this is an old book; it's an old it's a fiction book, but it has incredible biblical truth in it. And Christian is going through life, progressing toward heaven. He's living his life, and when he walks up to the gates of heaven. It says above the gate, Choose you this day whom you will serve. So then he walks through the gate. And as he gets through the gate, he turns around and he looks at the sign above the gate on the inside. And it says, I chose you before the foundation of the world. To me, that's a good illustration of what, what it means. Not only to become a Christian, to be chosen, but to walk with Christ. Then, second, in verses 5 through 7, first of all, we, we realize that the Thessalonians were an elect people. God had chosen them, God knew them. He knew the church that they would become. Now we see through these verses, through 5 and 7, that they were an exemplary people. And beginning in verse 5, it says Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. You hear the Holy Spirit's work in this this whole thing. Paul's not taking any credit of himself. It's all going to the Holy Spirit and the work that he's doing. And in verse 7, And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. It says in these verses that they suffered. In their affliction, affliction, they still found the joy of the Lord that they needed to have. And the Thessalonians were wonderful examples. Too often in this world we find, or we hear people say that I don't trust Christians. They're hypocrites. They don't live what they preach. And I think, you know, sometimes it's definitely a misunderstanding and sometimes, sad to say enough, it's true. And it's because we aren't living a life, an exemplary life like the Thessalonians were. And how did they do that? They modeled their life after Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and after the Lord. I don't know about you, but I, that, that part almost frightens me. Because I don't want people to think of, look at me and say, I want to live like Galen, uh, John Nygaard, and Dan Vogley, and the Lord. <laughs> It'd scare me to death. I don't want to be in that same category. But that is almost where we are being called as Christians, aren't we? We should be able to live our lives so that people would want to model their faith after our lives. And then third, in verses 8 and 9, we see that they were an enthusiastic people as well. The Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. I like enthusiasm. I get excited when I see someone that is so, ama- so sold out to Jesus Christ and living for him. You, just, you can't help but get caught up in that joy and excitement. Our message should ring out without excuse. There should be no question. We shouldn't need someone to point to us and say, see what they're doing. Everyone around us should see it. It should just be it should just be evident. And finally, in verses ten, or in verse ten, we're going to see the fourth part of the of the Thessalonian church. First, they were a chosen people, they were an elect people. Then they were an exemplary people. And then they were a very excited, enthusiastic people about their faith. In verse 10, which you'll see throughout, like I said, in books of the Thessalonians, that they were expecting the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And they couldn't wait. They were so excited to let others know about this second coming of a Savior who would once and for all put sin and death behind us. Isn't that exciting? That's the kind of church that we are called to be. We should be an expectant church, an enthusiastic church. We should be an exemplary church living our lives so that when people see us, they know there's something there. There really is something there. And realize that you are chosen. You are chosen because of what God saw in you before you were ever born. So does your life resemble the Thessalonians this morning? I'm just going to end with four, things that I, four questions that I'd like you to just think about. First of all, do you realize that God chose you? Do you really understand that he chose you? And secondly, are you an exemplary person in character? And in your actions, does your faith walk Look like your faith talk. Is it consistent throughout the week? And third, are you excited about God and the work that he's called you to do? I think of this young gentleman that called me and and had a cry out for help, not knowing what his next step is. And I believe that's work that's called, that we are called to do. Whatever we give, whatever the amount. That's in God's hands. Whatever he uses that for in this young man's life, I don't know. We may never know in this life. But I pray that when we get to heaven that we will find many opportunities to visit with people that can say thank you. Like the old song, thank you for giving to the Lord because I do thank you because you give so much, not only of your possessions, but you give of your time. You encourage me so much by your faith and by your actions. And then finally, are we an expectant people? Are we really waiting for the return of Christ, or do we think that may not happen in our lifetime? I don't know about you, but I I get really excited. Just the thought of that. And I remember having thoughts before I was married. I thought, God, please don't come. I just want to have a wife for a while. I want to have a family. I want to know what it means to have grandkids. Boy, was I foolish. There's so much more to Christ coming than that. Even though what I've got is amazing. and It is so incredible. What, what is coming is beyond our imagination. And that's the excitement that we need to have in our Lord. So with that, could I have the deacons come forward? Um, we have some people missing today, so I hope we have enough. So, um, And we are going to share in our communion service together as we rejoice of what Hope that we can have in our Lord and Savior. We really look forward to this day, so we celebrate in communion. So, if you could come forward, please, for our service.